And welcome back to Farewell Evangelion. Uh, we're doing a very special episode today. My name Ooh. is Keith. I'm going through for my last time, and I'm joined by Peter. Hello! Going through for his first. So we didn't end up doing an Evangelion episode today. We'll be starting uh, the Rebuild series pretty soon. But I thought now would be a good time to go over the lore, because between the end of Evangelion to the start of the Rebuild series, there was a significant gap. So we're going to cover the lore up to before Rebuild, essentially. Fair enough. Make sure we're all fully solid on what happened. Maybe talk about some stuff I haven't had a chance to pick up yet. Exactly. Uh, so we normally talk about our predictions, and I gotta say, 100% so far. I'm doing good. We know I did it. Yeah. For <laughs> some reason, when I make predictions of the episode, I'd say I have a batting average of like 80%. When you make a prediction of, we're not doing an episode of Bone Aver Yelling, we're doing an episode of both the lore, smack on the money 100% of the time <laughs> so far. So, uh, for this format of this episode specifically, it's not going to be so much our normal, we're talking about what happens type thing. This is going to be more of just a blank, open conversation episode. I'm going to go through the lore, starting with the first ancestral race and everything that leads up to Avon. If you get a question, feel free to just hop in whenever a point, if you want to stop me to clarify something. If you think I'm not going to answer it, I guess. You mean, I get to ask questions and theoretically have answers to that. Yeah, the only thing I would not answer is if it pertains to something that would still be a spoiler moving into the Rebuild series, but there's not a lot at this time. I like the sound of that. Let's do this. Okay, so, first things first, the angels are aliens. <laughs> you can't... <laughs> we can't just start off with that, because the whole fucking thing we repeatedly confirmed over the series is they're not... Technically aliens, now they're aliens. Oh no, humans are aliens. I had predicted before we started recording that I was going to have a stroke during this episode. I think I'm going to have a stroke in the first five minutes of this episode. Humans are also aliens. Cool. Yeah, so everything that uh, is on Earth due to Adam or Lilith is not natural to planet Earth. Okay, so all the deer and birds and hear a lot of cicadas, all that natural earthlings, humans themselves, not actually from Earth. Not really. Because most life on the planet is from Lilith in some aspects. So everything's aliens. In a sense. Is there anything that is just explicitly not an alien? Are trees aliens? No, actually. Fuck yeah, alright, I got one. <laughs> I know one thing that's not an alien. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think because I cannot think of a situation where it's confirmed plants are in any aspect for Lilith. But I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, but not a big deal. Uh, so we've seen things in soul form, right? With the yeah. whole thing. Uh, and one of the things, we see a cat. So it's implied that cats are from Lilith, because why would she be able to pull the soul out if that's the case? Which we have to assume that unless cats are a special deal... Animals in general, like living creatures made out of, like, you know, meat, in a sense, <laughs> are from Lilith in some aspect. I think that's my favorite way I've ever heard animals described. Living creatures made of meat. It's oh, I was, not gonna, I was gonna say organic, is like, fuck, that's plants. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, Alright, so... Wait, that's so much better, because that means during, human, during human instrumentality, it wasn't just humans all mingling souls... It was also you merging your soul with your beloved pet and learning everything your pet thinks about you in that moment, which is either a beautiful moment or horrifying when you realize what your pet truly thinks of you. <laughs> That's implying that there's a direct translation that you now understand, because all those races of people like speaking different languages come together, it might have just been really confusing during instrumentality. 
I choose to believe the soul communicates in a language unknown to humans that's more direct and honest. Uh, so before we get into the lore, there was actually a few things that we didn't talk about in our End of Evangelion. I just wanted to briefly touch on uh, a little bit more fun facts or things of note that are pretty interesting. So uh, first one that I had forgotten to mention. At the beginning of the movie, when uh, Shinji is soaked and the light drops into the water, yeah. uh, it's never really confirmed, but the implication and a lot of understanding is that, and it better explain Shinji's mentality for the rest of the episode, uh, Shinji was actually trying to kill himself by drowning himself, and that's why he's soaked. That does make a bit of sense, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but no, I can understand where he got to that point. And you can kind of see his character, how it developed for the rest of the movie, from that starting point. Yeah, he doesn't resist when people pull a gun on him and say it's nothing personal, because he wants to be dead at this point. Yeah, Shinji wants to die, he just won't, can't do it himself, essentially. He doesn't have the heart to do it to himself. Uh, another interesting thing we didn't really talk about is the song Come Sweet Death, Come Sister Todd. I, I have listened to that song probably a dozen times since we watched uh, End of Evangelion, because it's just... Every once in a while, it'll pop into my head, and I'll just have to fucking listen to the song to get the earworm out of me. I did... Watching the movie, I thought, oh, this is a neat song. Did not think it would be then buried into my subconscious. Yeah, and I believe I mentioned that each part of the series kind of has its own songs heavily associated with it, and that's the end of Evangelion song. Like, there's other music in it, but that is the end of Evangelion song. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics itself also have a lot of interesting uh, aspects to the series, and... All the people mention it kind of sounds like it's a breakup song, which I guess is kind of fitting that it plays when Asuka, the last person, rejects Shinji. So you can say it's a breakup between their relationship, or even like Shinji breaking up with the world because of what he does yeah. next. It's Shinji breaking up with humanity and realizing he doesn't want other humans to exist in their original capacity. Exactly. Uh, and the song is, it does kind of like the Evangelion vibe to itself, where it's a very upbeat, poppy song. But when you listen to the lyrics, it's also kind of like, mm, that's kind of depressing. Kind of. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the last thing I want to mention, which I don't believe I did mention during the uh, episode, but the final scene of Ethereal Ray, uh, framing-wise, is the exact same as the first time we see her. So in episode one of the anime, when we see the Ethereal uh, version yeah, of Ray, Yeah, flash of her while... Misato. Yeah, if you overlay the frames of the screen, raise in the exact same position on both. Huh. I mean, that's neat, but I don't know what to take away from that. Uh, it's kind of... Uh, now, this I did mention, the aspect that Ray is not bound by time, in a sense. Yeah. Or the, Lilith is probably the best way yeah. to put it, where this is the spirit projection of her. And just like when she turned everyone to LCL, it's the implication that... And this is how I took it, you can take it a different way, but... The ray we saw at the beginning is the ray from the end. It's the same ray we're seeing at both points. It's at this... Sometime before she actually dies, her spirit projection is going around all the times and seeing all the things. Well, the idea that even after Lilith has died, this ethereal being still there watching Shinji at the end, because at the point at the end uh, scene of End of uh, Evangelion, Lilith is gone, but the ethereal ray is still there. Yeah. So I think the implication is through instrumentality and everything that happened, the ethereal ray version came into existence and was immediately everywhere. Okay. I can feel the stroke coming. I can feel well, it coming. Uh, well, you know, this is one of the things that it's not a 
answer thing, right? It's yeah. just, it's one of those things you're supposed to find yourself. Anno does very much like giving us everything but the answer and having people come to their own conclusions. He does answer things that are crucial to the story, but there are things that, well, you know, you have to find your answer. Yeah, and it's what you take away from it. Is yeah, answer. and that's what I took away from this is whatever instrumentality was, it kind of put her into... Because you have to remember, Lilith became God for a bit, yeah. and the physical body was destroyed, but... We also know that the souls don't fully disappear when they die because that's how Misato, Kaji, Ritsuko, all of them came back through instrumentality. Yeah. Presumably Buddy who was stabbed in the heart while facing the wrong way while guarding the door. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's what I took away from it, but it might be wrong, it might be right, who knows. No way to know for sure. Yeah. So with that, uh, we'll get into the lore leading up to the beginning. Yeah. So we all start... Thousands upon thousands upon billions of years ago. With, what a perfect spot to start. With the first ancestral race. So... Uh, this is presumably the race that both Adam and Lilith come from? In a sense. So, this is a very advanced race, long in the past, who were going into decline. So, we don't know the details on what this race was specifically, or what was causing their decline. We only know that the race was going extinct. So, to prevent life from vanishing from the universe... They create these things called the Seeds of Life. Uh, these are the moons. The Black Moons and the White Moons. Just to clarify, so the Black Moon is the one that was under Tokyo 3 that got risen up at the start of instrumentality with yes. the third impact. Is the White Moon just the one that orbits around Earth? Is that just the White no. Moon? No. Okay. Is the White Moon... Was it underneath Antarctica, and is it... Uh, I think you mean, it is it underneath Antarctica, which is yes. Okay, so it's still underneath it. wasn't released as part of the second impact. Yeah, so through their plan, they sent through the galaxy uh, these moons. So there's more of them than just the two. Uh, so as you mentioned, the black moons had the seeds of uh, knowledge, and the white moons had the seeds of life. And they were meant to go out, land on planets, and populate those planets. Whether that was supposed to be life in the mere form of the first ancestral race, or just new life, is never really confirmed. As we know, the seeds of life had the ability to manipulate their AT fields, which allowed them to take whatever shape they wanted. Whereas the people in the Black Moons uh, didn't really seem to be able to control what their shape was. They seem to go through natural evolution, but they have the power of being able to innovate and conceptualize themselves, in a sense. Yes. So, because of this, and here's where the uh, fun first twist of this lore stuff's going to come from, the White Moon is the one that was sent to Earth, and it landed in Antarctica. Why was the black moon there? Uh, when you said that, I just assumed they said one of each, and was just like, here you go, have fun with that, and figure it out yourself. What was Lilith doing on Earth? So, that's a key thing to remember here. What happens when the seed of life and the seed of knowledge combine? Uh, instrumentality, power of God, all that jazz. Essentially. And the ancestral race did not want this. Because that's the power to rewrite all reality, and it's too powerful for a new species, in a sense, to have. That's fair. So, every seed of life had a spear. Spear of Longinus. And the spear itself, what it does is it's meant to seal the powers of the species, essentially. So, when Adam and Lilith had the spear in them, their regeneration stops, their ability to produce life, all of it stops. Does that mean there would have... Uh, I know we haven't gotten to how Lilith got to Earth yet, but 
But does that mean there was technically two spheres of Longinus on Earth and each one of the moons had a sphere associated with it? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I, a little interesting thing to mention about the spheres, they react on their own. They are essentially, think of them as pre-programmed to prevent that godlike being from coming into existence. Which is why no one had to specifically throw the Spear of Longinus at Shinju when he was going through that instrumentality. It just kind of came rocketing from the moon. Exactly. Its whole job was to stop the creation of a god, in a sense. To clarify, when I say from the moon, I mean from the third slash first moon, depending on how you enumerate them. Neither the black nor the white moon, the one that orbits around. Yeah, if I say just the moon, it's the one that's natural. Oh, again, I guess technically not too natural, because it's caused when Lilith and her white moon, uh, our black moon, accidentally crashes into Earth. Okay, so... And this is first impact. Here's some things... <laughs> Here are some things that I happen to know about the reality we actually exist in, and we're not talking about Neon Genesis for right now. Yeah. Um, based on my limited understanding of the science, because I'm not a scientist who studies this field, the common theory about Earth and the Moon, because of how the crusts are similar and the differences that they have, the belief is that Earth wasn't always the Earth, it was a separate planet. Uh, that a very long time ago collided with another planet, and during their collision they fused into one planet, but a big old chunk got knocked off and started orbiting. That's how the moon exists. So that's kind of close to what's going on in Neon Genesis, except it wasn't another planet that collided with Earth, it was Black Moon from Lilith. Yeah, the one that housed Lilith. And it's never specified the exact details of what happens in this time, just that Adam had landed and was starting preparation for spreading life. And then Lilith showed up. And now, because of this, we have two different seeds on the same planet. Which is a problem. And Lilith's spear was destroyed in the impact. So because of this, and the fact that the spears react on their own, Adam's spear immediately seals Adam Makes to prevent sense. both lives. From exactly. Uh, so this event is known as the first impact. Yep. Uh, so with Adam sealed in Antarctica, it's implied that both Adam and Lilith are aware of each other, but what Adam and Lilith are aware of in a sense is kind of vague of did they go with the known objective of unpopulating or anything like that, or were they also themselves kind of like freshly born entities from the eggs, or the moons? Yeah. So we have the white moon under, under Antarctica, and it stays there for a very long time with Adam sealed with the spear. Then we have Lilith, who landed in Japan, which is the space under uh, Tokyo 3. So the geofront was created by the impact. Makes sense. And the black moon is under where the impact site is. And all of life leaks out of this, essentially. Creating the primordial sea, and all life grows from it. Yep. Like LCL, because from what we understand, the composition of LCL, after Shinji melts in it, is essentially the primordial sea. Yeah, and as we see in the end of Evangelion, when the human body is kind of popped... Back into its core, it turns into LCL. Yep. Which, as you know, at this point, is also the LCL that was in the Ava uh, units, was also the blood from Lilith, and so on and so forth. Yep. And also, uh, it answers a big question in the series that a lot of people had of, well, why, how did Lilith get under Nerve HQ? Well, she was always there. Yep. Nerve HQ was built on top of Lilith. That was yep. it. And that also, uh, Terminal Dogma, which I pointed a few times we were watching, how it looks very weird on the inside. It's inside the Black Moon, isn't it? Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's still super fucking weird, but it makes more sense. Yeah. So, 
to talk about the spirit bone targets just a little bit more, based a prediction of mine, but not even a prediction, it feels very called a prediction. Would I be correct in assuming that the cause of the second impact was removing the spirit longinus from Adam? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. So it did play a part, it wasn't the only thing that affected it. Uh, but we haven't gotten to that point yet because we have to talk about the forming of another important thing, Sile. How far back does Sile go? Uh, so the exact time in which Sile existed from is not specifically known. They've existed for a very long time and have been kind of slowly running things in the background for a long time. The only time we can confirm that Sile had to exist before was the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, an interesting thing. Sile always knew about what was later deemed the Human Instrumentality Project. Okay. They were always aware of that. Yeah. Doesn't Sile mean, like, soul in German or something like yeah. that? So that explains. It was always their plan to have something like that happen. Soul food. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we know that they had to exist earlier than the Dead Sea Scrolls fighting, and the Dead Sea Scrolls that were released to the public were not the real Dead Sea Scrolls. So what I understand roughly based on the lore of the show of the Dead Sea Scrolls, were they like just random etchings that were inside the moons or something? Like, do we know more about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Unfortunately, they never answer how the Dead Sea Scrolls came into existence, just that they predict a lot of things, which implies some sort of etherealness to them, I guess, because they predict almost everything, including the first angel appearing in 2015, to every angel that will appear in order. So when Gendo tried to, haha, the angel never appeared, they knew an angel appeared. Because they had the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, and they had the Dead Sea Scrolls, which didn't just say this many angels were, will appear. They knew specifically when the angels would appear and presumably what form they would take on. So they knew that it was an angel attack, not a hack or something. Exactly. So, to answer a question you had earlier in the series, when Nair lost power when an angel attacked, you said, did they send the angel? No, they didn't send the angel, but they knew it was coming, so they did the damage to Nair at that point. That makes sense, yeah. Okay. And if you'll notice, the method in which they attacked at that point, when the angel came in, was the same they used in End of Evangelion to infiltrate Nair. Yeah. So, it wasn't so much that people were using angels, uh, I guess aside from Tabris Akaru, they were just, they knew exactly when it was going to happen, so they were able to plan around it a lot more effectively. In theory, they were using angels in the same way some, like, manipulative hedge fund manager uses hurricanes when he had a very accurate planning thing to, like, short markets and shit like that. Like, they knew something was going to happen, and they took advantage of the knowledge without actually having direct control over the thing that was going to happen. That's a good way to put it. Uh, so yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, what exactly is written there, it's unknown to us, the viewer. Just that they were really accurate predictions on a lot of things, including when the angels happened. But also, the events of Second Impact. Oh, they also explained the events of Second Impact? Yeah, they knew it was going to happen. That explained, because we already kind of had it suggested that Gendo knew it was going to happen. So it makes sense that he knew that through the Dead Sea Scrolls and not so much through his meticulous planning of ensuring that. Yeah, and all, actually, uh, the second impact uh, was kind of required to happen in order for the events in the Genesis to go through. Oh, because it, they needed to unseal Adam so that other angels could exist or something like that? Exactly. Adam, at this point, had not had the chance to create life in any aspect. 
So was it like immediately after Adam got there that Lilith came crashing in and created our moon and all that shit? It, it could have been. We're not really getting uh, given the specifics. We just know that after Adam landed and was about to start his process, whatever windup required for that, Lilith, Lilith crashed, Lilith. and because the spear was destroyed in the crash, Adam's Adam spear reacted to seal Adam. Okay. Uh, so, Zile knew the complete fallout of what was going to happen at Antarctica for the second attack. So they essentially sent the Katsuragi expedition, all of them, to die, knowing that it would kill a significant amount of the population. This gave Zile the chance to take more direct power of global government, because they are pretty much the people running the UN in the background. Yeah. But on top of that, they also gave to set in motion the Angels, because once the second impact happened, which was the unsealing of Adam, uh, which caused him to go into, like, I guess a rampage is the best way to put it. But they also did fuse it with human DNA, which is little DNA, which effectively was also giving Adam those powers. The exact thing they did is not given, but we know that the events of Second Impact created the, the full angel set, so they were all put out into reality, essentially, at this point. Yeah. Kaoru's human form was created as Tabris because of the mixture of the human DNA. And Adam was reverted into an embryo. So most likely, and again, this isn't confirmed, whatever happened to Adam's full body, that being of light we saw, the body was dispersed into multiple things. Not so much that the body shrunk into the embryo form. The most likely thing, and a popular belief, is that all the angels were created pieces. physically from Adam. Yeah. Uh, he was certainly torn to pieces, and the pieces were formed into two angels. Yeah, which is why the prediction of there being exactly 17 angels, or I guess in this case the 15 angels, is because of the fact it came from Adam. There can't be more if we destroyed all of them. Yep. So if you think of it that way, a lot of the Dead Sea Scrolls predictions seem to specifically relate to Adam. Like... Yes, they end up involving what goes on with Lilith, but it's less so about Lilith and more so just about what happens with Adam and what happens with pieces of Adam and all that stuff. Yeah, so you can kind of see why, when you're talking about the Angels, talking about Adam and Lilith as being part of the number series is kind of required, but at the same time, not exactly correct. Yes. So Adam is number one because he was the first one to land on Earth. Lilith is number two because she was the second one. All of the other Angels, up until 18 are listed as such. The reason Lilins are 18 is because it's the big reveal at the end yeah, that they were they angel. were technically there before. They were type, the third. Yeah, technically the third angel. Yeah. Man, can you imagine if that's how they decided to enumerate it? Can we get the fourth angel? And then over time we have the realization Adam was the first angel. It's like, oh, there was the secret the second and third one. The second one was Lilith. The third one was humanity. <laughs> Actually, no, that'd be dope. I actually wish they started counting uh, Satchel as, like, four million and just listed every single species on Earth as an angel before Satchel. Oh, now, to be fair, uh, keep in mind that the numbering of the angels is completely done by Sile and Nerve. Yeah. So, even though Misato... The only reason time we get humanity's 18th angel is from Misato, is more of, uh, you know, yeah. explaining the situation. Human uh, Lilins have never been given the designation of the 18th angel in any formal form aside from Misato saying that. I just like to think of them now as the third angel, and cats are the fourth angel, and dogs are the fifth angel. <laughs> Fuck you, Satchel, you're way down the line. <laughs> but yeah, the Katsuragi expedition, their whole thing was an experiment uh, with human DNA, remove the spear, 
and that's what caused second impact, almost destroying humanity. And the two big things is, CLA knew about this, removed their assets and research out before it happened. And what followed was a global war of resources. Fair. And this war went on for about two to three years. And what ended up happening? I know a lot of people find this weird. It's like, why is the UN the big power authority in the world? That's not how it is really in this world. It's more than making suggestions. And yeah. that's because because of what happened in the world, the population being so low, it was established that there is effectively a world government, which is the UN, which is controlled by Sile. Yeah. And all the other governments do have their own authority to react and stuff like that. But everyone kind of bows down to the power of the UN. Yeah. Uh, and during this event, essentially, that's where Girin ends up coming into construction, becoming Nerve. The bases are set up. Ultimately, Antarctica is kind of just left alone because really the only thing that was left there afterwards was the spear. Yep. Which Gendo is going back to get and then seals Lilith with. So was Lilith still just like making new species at that time or had she decided to take a well-deserved rest? Well, the, the thing to remember is the soul in it, right? Right, yeah. And Goff was empty at this point, except well, Ray was the last soul to come out of Goff. Yeah. Which is also the egg. Okay. So Lilith was just taking a well-deserved break at that point. Pretty much. Yeah. And that was more to keep her at a state of pre-consciousness, so that she was usable. It, the spear through Lilith was more for Sile uh, than Gendo. Yeah. Which is why he kind of got rid of the spear when he had the chance, where he could argue he had to do it. Uh, yeah, he had to eat it onto the Lilith. Don't worry, it's close enough that Seal shinji with the time. Exactly. Well, that, I don't but, think that was part of the plan. Yeah. Did anyone realize that the spear would act independently, or was that a surprise for everyone? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't think they ever discussed who was uh, was or wasn't aware of this. I think Sile probably had an idea, but if Gendo knew, it's never really addressed. Fair enough. The fact that he went through the effort of throwing it off the planet might indicate he didn't know. Yeah. It's probably helping. But at the same time, Gendo had a lot more information than Sile would have liked, so he might have known as well. And it was just a measure of slowing them down. So, about Gendo. Yeah. Going back, we know from the Ray 3 episode that his backstory was he initially seemed kind of interested in Yui because Yui was involved with Sile, and he was more so interested in getting involved with Sile, and then eventually ended up falling in love with Yui as a part of it. Yep. How much. That is hard to say. That's fair. Like I said, how much Gendo knew is not really important to the story, so it's not something that is directly answered. We just need to know Gendo was aware of the angels, what human instrumentality was, and effectively all of the things he was doing was to get to that final goal of putting everyone into Unit 1. Fair. Everybody had to get in that fucking robot. Is it fair to say that he didn't have any... He might have had some of that information. But he didn't really have that goal until after he took a week-long break and came up with human instrumentality, even though it technically wasn't his idea as we now know. Yeah. So, would it be fair to assume that his initial interest in joining Sealy was just because he perhaps had more awareness than others and realized Sealy was kind of controlling things from the background and wanted to have access to that level of power? I think that's very much an implication that he was very smart and had a thirst for power, in a sense. And that's what drew him to Sile through Yui. He ended up falling in love with Yui. 
And I do think that he wasn't... He might have had ideas based on what he was doing of the possibility of what instrumentality was, especially where he was involved with Second Impact. Yeah. I think he was very much aware of what could be done, but the actual predictions of the Dead Sea Scrolls, I suspect he didn't know those ones. Yeah. And more of when Yui died, he's like, I need to do this. Yeah. To get Yui back. I can accept that. that that's fine with me. I'm yeah. willing to accept all of them. That's how I kind of interpret the story of Gendo through that phase. Yeah. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. And that's going to be my assessment. So, uh, so yeah, in this founding period, that's when a lot of key characters end up coming into connection. So Misato, Ritsuko, Naoko, uh, Asuka's mother. Oh, by the way, Asuka's mother is one of the founders of Karen. If you probably didn't figure it already. The experiment that caused her to go... the original mother that went insane and killed herself and kept talking about how she wanted to kill Asuka at the same time. That yeah, the thing that made her go insane was just like Yui had fused with Unit 2, Asuka's mother had fusion with uh, Unit 2, but it wasn't full. Part of her remained afterwards. So essentially, the best way to think of it is the soul went into the unit, but the remaining husk of her physical form was still out there in the real world. Right, so that's why she was so crazy, because she essentially didn't have a full soul anymore and felt incomplete and felt like she probably needed to die. Yeah, her body started essentially breaking down and she went crazy in a sense. Yeah. Same time, her soul was inside of Unit Two, which is why Asuka was trained since just a younger age than Shinji, essentially, because unlike Shinji, who was kind of the disappearance of you was never kind of acknowledged in a sense. It was she died during a thing, so no one really could forcibly put the two together, except for people that were involved in probably Sile. So that's why when we go back to the very first episode, and I had asked you what was her level of understanding. Gendo and Ritsuko were both fully aware of the fact that Shinji would be able to pilot the Ava. And Fuyutsuki, but. And Fuyutsuki. But most of the other people weren't aware because they weren't in on the original Yui disappearance situation. Exactly. Uh, well, Ritsuko wasn't either. Her mother was. Yeah, so. But Ritsuko probably found it through her mother. Yeah. Because Ritsuko pretty much took over the same position, so she would have had access to all that information as well. Yeah. Whereas in Germany, uh, which is the second branch, uh... That's where uh, Asuka's mother, uh, Kyoku Zeppelin Soyu, uh, sure. was working. And she did the same thing with Ava 2, but then we got the split of the soul and the body. So that's kind of like the big revelation of Asuka's story at the end of Evangelion. She finds out that her mother did love her, and she was in the Ava whole time protecting her, and kind of put two and two together that, oh, her physical form was still around, and that wasn't really her. Yeah, that's why... Her physical form was saying all the terrible things that made it seem like she didn't love her. It's because that wasn't really her mother anymore. So her mother did still love her. It's just that thing that looked like her mother wasn't technically her mother. Uh, yeah, I would have put it, I'd say. Yeah. Because the soul being pulled out, it's not so much that it wasn't her mother. It's just her mother was effectively fractured. Yeah. That's fair. And because of that, uh, we do have confirmation that essentially the physical remains of her mother didn't actually recognize Asuka. And that's why I thought the doll was Asuka. <laughs> it was still aware that it had a dog named Asuka, but it couldn't distinguish the real Asuka. Probably for the best, given how it handled the doll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, we had Naoko create the Magi system. Yeah. Uh, all the nerve branches pop up around the world, starting production on the Ava series, which we also know happened to be Sile's plan for immortality. 
That's why there's supposed to be 13 Evangelions. Uh, so also just to clarify, was... so, sorry, back just half a second. There were 13 members of Sealy, right? Which is why they wanted 13 Evangelions? Yeah, well, there's more members of Sealy, but the upper echelon. 13 can count two members or whatever the fuck they call it. Yeah. Um, back a little bit to what we saw, because this was not something I had specifically picked up on until we were watching End of Evangelion. I don't know, maybe it was said, maybe it wasn't. But each of the different Nerf branches across the world all had their own version of the Magi system. It's just the one at Nerf HQ was the original one built by Nauka, so that one was a bit more efficient than, than the others, which is why yeah. it was able to resist. Think of the other ones as a copy of the Magi system. So it was able to work in the same way, but it's more so imitating the original and not actually doing it itself. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Then. Which is why they were so reluctant to destroy the central Magi system when they invaded. Yeah, because they wanted to keep the main one that was doing the hardest work. Exactly. That Alka's a woman just never gave up on fucking uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Not until the bitter end. Uh, so it's around this time that we get the switch from Garen to Nerve, and a lot of the things we've seen through flashbacks start to go into motion. Yui makes the decision to essentially ensure her son's future, but also ensure that humanity will always exist, fusing herself with Unit 1. Yeah. Uh, which kind of sets everything into motion. Yeah. Uh, and then we kind of start with the beginning of the series. With uh, Shinji coming back and getting told to get in the robot. There's a few things that happen in the series that really isn't addressed, which I think are worth mentioning here as well. Sure. So there's a few key moments in the series that end up playing into Sile's hands and lead to what happens at the end of Evangelion. The first big one is the defeat of the fourth angel. Uh, that's the, the one that looks like a seventh, right? Yeah. Okay. So when this angel's defeated, um, most angels at this point had exploded, or the this core was the completed. the first one where the core was maintained. Yeah, which we now know is the S2 engine. Which is the seed of life. Now, uh, you probably... You, you could have put this together, I don't know if you did, but with the Spear of Longinus, they were able to create replica Spear of Longinuses. Yeah. With that S2 drive, they were now able to create replica S2 drives. So because of that angel not being destroyed, they were able to make replica drives, and that's why the mass production Evangelions were so powerful. Because they had their own replica S2 drives, which is why they were able to regenerate after being destroyed by uh, Unit 2. Yeah, and if you remember correctly as well, uh, the destruction of the Nevada base was them testing the S2 drive. I do. That's what happened to Unit 4 or 5? One of them? Uh, Evangelion 4 was destroyed and 3 was sent to Nair. 3 was HQ. sent to Nair. yes. Okay. And that was them testing out an S2 drive. And then 5 through 13 are the mass productions. Okay. So they just, like, kill off four members of the council because now they only have nine for the... Well, uh, it's mentioned briefly before you know exactly what Seelay's trying to do, but they are trying to capture Unit 1 and 2. Right. They don't want to destroy them, they want to capture them because they also want to use them. And they make the decision to destroy Unit 2 when they realize they won't be able to actually successfully stop it. Yeah. Okay. And then instrumentality kind of starts when Unit 1 shows up and they kind of just roll with it. Yeah. Like, alright, this is their chance. Rock, paper, scissors for who gets to go in the nine that we have. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that's ultimately kind of the full background lore of what was going on 
uh, with Neon Genesis, with where Angels came from, and everything kind of led to instrumentality, starting with the third impact. Oh, uh, one thing I should actually mention that I briefly guess I went over. Nerv was not aware of the existence of Karu Nagisa. So the implication is that Sile moved in early and specifically removed him, and it looks like they also removed the embryo of Adam, which Kaji later gets his hands on and brings to Gendo. But Kaoru was an unknown piece of the plan to Gendo. So... That's why he didn't immediately know, oh, Kaoru's an angel, let's just kill it now, right? Kaoru was one of the things that was left over in Antarctica after the events, so that's why that's his birthday. Given the understanding of how the Avas work and how the people who pilot them are the ones whose mother's soul is inside of the Ava. Well, actually, going back a second. Does that mean... I remember that I... Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck, I... I was about to say I feel like I understand the series so much more now, and those are words I've never been able to say at, during one of these podcasts. But now you're causing me to have extra questions. So, because of what we know about Ava's and the relationship between the Ava itself and their pilot, and the mother of the pilot, the line we get from uh, Gendo when Unit 3 comes over about how any one of the students at the school would have been a viable pilot. Does that mean all of their mothers are inside of Ava somewhere around the world, or...? So, the Ava core is what has the mother soul in it, so essentially when they replace the cores, that's how they replace which souls in it, essentially. So they have cores containing souls of all the mothers. It, it might not be that they have cores of all of them, but they have the means to insert one into a core, at the very least. So either the mothers are already dead and they have access to their soul in the form of a core. Oh yeah, side. it's very heavily implied that everyone's mother's dead that goes there. Uh, I remember us Disney memeing earlier on. Yeah. This could also mean that, in theory, some of the students might potentially still have access to their mother, but Gendo's fully on the board with, their mother's still alive. We can take their mother and put their mother's soul into a core <laughs> if need be. Fair enough. Uh, hopefully that's not what he was implying. But, I suppose, uh, see, I was thinking it wasn't the core itself, it was the Ava as a whole, which was going to raise questions as to Gendo, why Gendo was willing to accept that Kaoru was able to pilot Unit 2. Um, but if they potentially sent Calver with another core or something like that, this is his mother's core or something like that, then Kendo could have accepted it. And like, yeah, well, like any other uh, a few things that I do feel like I need to clarify just to make things make a lower sense. So, first off, the Ava, so Unit 1, is not Shinji's mom. Shinji's mom is in Unit 1. Yes. So that's a misunderstanding a lot of people have. They think the Ava itself is the mother. No, it's just the core that the unit is doing. And think of the mother's soul as the conduit that connects the pilot to the Ava to control it. Yeah. Uh, essentially going berserk. Uh, sometimes it's just the primal body of the Ava reacting. Sometimes it's the soul taking control. Sure. Usually the indication of that is the lights flickering on in the eyes. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Uh, the other thing... You can technically pilot an Ava without the core soul. Presumably you're going to have a much lower sync rate. Exactly. Because that in-between is meant to connect better the sync rate. But it's still feasible for a person to do it. 
Because if you remember, what is the core thing to being able to pilot an Ava? Uh, opening your soul to it, or it yeah, opening your, its soul to your heart. It. Essentially, yeah. being open and not, you know, resisting connection. Opening your soul to that doll, as Oscar would say, except she would say that she's not going to do it. Yeah. So hypothetically, if Kara was able to pilot Oscar's unit. The soul at that point of Asuka's mother was already kind of withdrawn into the Eva, as Kaoru later points out. It's not a big red flag if Kaoru's able to sync with it. The implication would be, because I don't think at this point they knew that Angels, or at least Tauberus, because it seems to be he's the only one that was able to like do the control the Evangelion thing. Yeah. Because it was made from Adam. So the uh, implication could just be that he's just more open, right? Fair. Which makes, in fact, makes him look even more trustworthy. <laughs> Yeah, especially with the conversations we've seen between him and Shinji. He's just a genuine, honest, and open guy. Probably. Yeah, which I think if someone would have asked him, hey, are you an angel? He probably would have said yes. So I don't think it's a big stretch to think, hey, he was actually just an open guy. Yeah. Which raises the question, is it possible that just all angels are just like genuine, honest people? And like have open souls that they're willing to share with the people around them, and it's just unfortunate that we don't realize it? Well, some of them don't directly attack, right? Some of them are trying to figure out. Laliel didn't specifically attack anyone. I choose to believe Ramuel has the most open soul because his AT field is visible to the human eye. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the whole concept behind that. Uh, anyone can pilot an Evangelion, but without the proper core, it just becomes harder unless you meet certain requirements, in a sense. Okay, I can accept that. And hypothetically, with a dummy plug, anyone could pilot the Evangelion. Okay. That was the last bit of confusion I had. Now I feel like I can say I understand the series better than I ever have before, and that's words I didn't think I would ever say during this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I guess, uh, you don't have any other questions. We don't really have a, what did you think of this episode type question, but what do you think of the lore of Evangelion? Does it kind of match up with what you were thinking, or was there any big left feels like the angels being aliens? There was a couple stuff coming out of left field. Uh, the fact that, like, I'm still not fully certain as to what the fuck Lilith was doing on the planet, it kind of sounds like she took a wrong turn in Albuquerque and ended up on Earth somehow. I mean, pretty much. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I'm kind of, also just to talk about that a little bit more, it sounds like based on the fact that his spear of Londrinus wasn't destroyed and most spears of Londrinus presumably weren't destroyed in the impact, that like most, Abe, or most moons, eggs, whatever you want to call them, had a relatively graceful landing yeah, they on do. their planet. Yeah, they do. They do. They just land softly. Yeah. Lilith, nah, she no. fucking rocketed into Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck, that's... It wasn't Adam landing on Earth that created the moon, it was Lilith smashing into the Earth that created yeah. the moon. Oh, Earth clearly wasn't her target. Like, obviously Earth wasn't her target, as we've already tried. But she was trying to go for somewhere beyond Earth, and it's just Earth happened to just get right in the way. It was astronomically low odds, but it just happened yeah, it to it could have been something knocked her off the course or something. We don't yeah. know what happened, we just know that she ended up accidentally smashing into Earth. Oh, the mental image is very fucking amusing to me, because it's just a whole bunch of moves just gently settling on various planets across the galaxy, and then just Lilith just yeeting herself into her. Pretty much. Oh, fuck, that's very amusing to me. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like the lore. I feel like it, um... Well, some of it came from places I wasn't exactly expecting, I'll be honest. None of it feels like 
it's just how do I describe it? There are other works of fiction where it feels like the lore was written after the fact, and it was just someone decided to ask the author, "What about this?" And the author was like, "Uh, here, that's the answer." Wizard shit on the floor. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that with this series. It feels like the lore, even if it wasn't, it feels like the lore was planned out ahead of time, and it all fits together really well. Yeah, it's kind of got, uh, you know, an alien-esque feel to the lore of it, right? Yeah. The superior genetic race that existed millennia ago is responsible for everything. Yeah. But yeah, uh, most of the stuff from this uh, lore episode we've done isn't also in the anime or the end of Evangelion. It's from a lot of supplementary stuff. So uh, the PlayStation 2 video game, surprisingly, gives a shitload of lore because you get actual CLA documents in it. Jesus. Uh, which outlines all other stuff. That's how people put together what Seelay's plan was to become gods themselves in the Ava units, because it's never really touched on in the show, yeah. but it's mentioned in the video game through one of the documents you get. The manga series addresses a few other things, and there's a few spin-off things that also kind of address. I'm looking forward to the upcoming light novel series where you just get to read the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that's the entirety <laughs> of the game. Oh, you mean Evangelion Anima? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. That's definitely not what that one is. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, uh, with that, uh, I think it's time to end up this episode. So, if you would like to reach out to us, you can always find us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. You can send any questions or comments there. You can also find this podcast every Wednesday on most podcasting platforms. Make sure to like, leave a review, pass it on to a friend. Word of mouth helps the best with that. We also have a YouTube channel that we update the episodes as well on the same day. Uh, if you can subscribe to that or also, you know, leave a like, comment, also very helpful. We also have our Instagram page, which we update pretty much on a daily basis now, uh, where we give fun facts and information about the series as we go through it, and it's up to date where the podcast is, so no spoilers if you're following along. And we also do our weekend polls, which usually, uh, for the most recent pe uh, period, has been angels fighting each other. Uh, but uh, this weekend, as of... Uh, oh, actually, uh, last weekend, as of listening to this, would have been, did you like End of Evangelion? I'm pretty sure that will be a polarizing one. <laughs> and then we'll go back to the angel fights. Yeah, well... Cause the audience to fight for a little bit before going back to having angel fights. Exactly. And with that, uh, make sure to tune in next time. And Peter, actually no, I'm going to do it again. Because I get two episodes before we're going to rebuild. So make sure to tune into the next episode of Pharaoh and Evangelion. Where we're going to go over the big span of things that were inspired or created through Neon Genesis Evangelion and its effect on anime. Yay. And there will be plenty of fan service definitely with this next one another week before I get to watch Rebuild. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>